Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Table Talk, discussions of church, theology, and culture. My name is Luke. I am the Family and Ministry Coordinator here at CBC Ilderton, and I'm joined once again by Andrew Hall, lead pastor of CBC Ilderton. We're now in our third episode in our little mini-series here, thinking about the law and the gospel. We did our first introductory episode, defining some terms and looking at things more generally. And last week, we talked a little bit about theology of glory versus a theology of the cross and how those things are deeply related to understanding the law and the gospel. And this week, we want to talk about how to use the law rightly. We've spent a lot of time over the last two weeks, Andrew, mm-hmm. talking about the the law. And we, in our first episode particularly, s- made sure to spend time talking about how the law is good. Uh, you had mentioned that the law was given before sin came into the world. The law is something that is is ultimately meant for our good and something that God has given us in his wisdom. And scripture does teach us that, that the law is good when used lawfully. And so we want to take some time for you listeners this week to, to think about what, how, how do we use the law lawfully as, as Paul would say. And this, this really starts when we think about a, a category that has been a part of, of church history for a very long time, this this understanding of the the three uses mm-hmm. of the law. So, Andrew, maybe we, you can give some historical background for the the listeners on that, and then maybe you can you can give the first of the three uses of the law that we'll be talking about this week. So, when we when we get into uh, the era of the Reformation, I think this is where law and gospel really becomes uh, the key focus. Mm-hmm. Um, Historically, what had happened has been uh, had been there. There was a confusion of law and gospel, so there was a mixing together. Mm-hmm. So that's what we mean by confusion to to mix to fuse together with, yeah. and and so as law and gospel got fused together, then what what became apparent uh, to to Luther was that he he as a a monk, an Augustinian monk, he could never do enough good. He would confess his sins and in his confession feel that he needed to confess his confession. Mm-hmm. And, and so he began to despair. And so his uh, instructor, uh, von Staupitz, had instructed him to, to begin studying and, and looking at the scriptures. So he looked at the Psalms, at, at Romans, and really there was a breakthrough as he came to see that the righteousness of God was was more than just this work of God in condemning sin, but that there was something something beautiful in the righteousness of God. Mm-hmm. And that righteousness of God, um, Paul would would speak of it in Romans chapter chapter one, that the the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Uh, for Jews and for Greeks, and it goes from righteousness to righteousness. And so there was an example for Luther that that righteousness was actually a good thing. It wasn't a condemning thing. So as a result of that, it really it really caused uh, in the Reformational era uh, a reexamination of how life was lived. And in the in those days in the Catholic Church because grace was coming alongside of you. We talked about this in our last episode. Mm-hmm. Grace was coming alongside of you to, to help you. Uh, then, then law and gospel were mixed together. And yeah. Luther saw there needed to be a clearer distinction. Yeah. Um, that uh, the Catholic church would say, 
um, when, when you are born, you are born in sin. And so Luther described it as you're like a pile of manure. Luther always in his crass ways could find incredible Very pictures. colorful language. Colorful, sure, yes, he was always colorful. And so he described uh, people as being born as a pile of manure, uh, that they had lost glory. And that's the way that you could regain that glory, according to Luther's understanding and explanation of the Catholic Church, was that you could uh, confess and be reinstated to gold. The, so the, the pile of manure was miraculously turned into a pile of gold. And then there were, the Catholic Church described, mortal and venial sins. Uh, venial sins are these small little sins. And so Luther described them as little flecks of manure would begin re- reappearing mm-hmm. on the pile of gold. But a mortal sin would, bam, instantly turn the pile from gold back to manure. And so you were never saved by faith alone. You were always in and out of this state of being justified. What a scary place to live in. And so it's understandable then why indulgences and the sacraments and these works were all important Mm -hmm. in the days of Luther. But one morning as Luther looked out in the fields of Wittenberg, he could see that there had been a fresh snowfall and the manure pile that had been out there had been covered over with snow. And so it was simultaneously a, a pure white covering while still being a pile of manure. So we talked last time about simultaneously a saint and a sinner. And so Luther could say, no, what, what happens is that when you believe the gospel, you're, you're still in a state, there's still, there's still sin. There's still this indwelling, the flesh that we have, we have to deal with. But what ends up happening is that the blood of Christ, trusting in Christ, the finished work of Christ covers over us like snow so that we are pure so that when God looks at us, he sees us as pure, spotless, and blameless. So then that led Luther to, to the, three, uh, the three uses of the law and that the, the law then first it would function like a curb. So it would, it would kind of set a boundary to, to restrict sin. And so, so what happens then is that you know right from wrong. You get a general sense of what is good and what is evil. And so it puts some boundaries. So that was really the first definition uh, of the law that Luther would see. Yeah, he talked about how the the law well, helped restrain evil. Uh, for those of you who have heard these things talked about before, that's often called the the civil the civil use of the the law. The uh, another use of the law, and what one that uh, the Apostle Paul is very clear about in the the New Testament is that the law serves as a as a mirror to to all people. It, it shows. God's perfect holiness in the form of his demands and his, his command that they be, they be perfectly kept at every moment in, in perpetuity. And this idea that any breaking of one part of the law is a breaking of all of the law. The, the law serves as a mirror to show us our own sinfulness. And I've, I've often contended that if you, if you look at the law and you walk away from it thinking that you can do it, you haven't understood the law 
properly, r- rightly understood. And when we, when we hold it up at the place it should be, th- this use of the law shows us that we are completely bankrupt, that we do not have the ability to keep it. And so th- therefore need a righteousness outside of our own. This is, this is what the law showed the people of Israel. And it, it was a, a foreshadowing then of what would be done in the gospel through, through Christ. And so the the civil use we've talked about in restraining evil, and then this use, uh, a second use, which is to to show us our own sin, to be a mirror to us, to show us our inability to keep the law, therefore to drive us to to an external source of righteousness. Yeah, and that would lead then to the third use, which is that the law teaches Christians the the things that are pleasing to God. Uh, and and we need to understand that uh, the the overall picture we might walk away from if we've listened to the first uh, two episodes here on law and gospel, we we could merely walk away and think the law is very negative. It's very bad. Mm-hmm. And yet Paul will say the law is good if you use it lawfully. Psalm one. Blessed is the man, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Or as Psalm 19 will say, that um, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. And so they're to be desired more than much fine gold and sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. So the, the law then... Uh, actually, it serves as a guide to to help us to know not only what is right and wrong, but how to live a pleasing life. But the law has no power in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I, I think is a problem in many churches today. We've talked about these uses. We've talked about how well, one use of the law is, is to show us our sin, to show us our utter hopelessness, apart from from God and our inability to keep the law and our, our understanding that we're under judgment. And that, that use of the law is very different from what you're talking about, which is speaking to God's people, speaking to saints, those who are mm-hmm. regenerate, those who have been saved, and speaking to them about how the law, the law shows us what is, what is right and what is wrong. The law shows us how to live a life that that is pleasing to God and how to live a life that's best for us. It shows us all all of the ways in which we can live a a good life. And I I think so often these two uses of the law are mixed up. Uh, Speaking again of church context, our listeners may be coming from, perhaps some of you have been in a church context, I know that I have, where where the, the use of the law that is meant to sort of bring an understanding of condemnation and judgment is preached primarily to God's people, the, mm-hmm. the the saved people sitting in the chairs or pews or wherever they happen to be sitting. There's this judging, condemnatory tone, obey the law or face judgment. And that, that use of the law, this use of the law as a mirror is, is a necessary and important use of the law for those who are not saved for, for unbelievers. We want to bring the full weight of the law on, on those who are, are under judgment and who need to see their own sinfulness and their need for a savior. But to preach that same judgment and condemnation 
uh, to God's people is is something that does happen, and it can be very it can be very destructive as as God's people to sit in church week after week and to hear about how you need to obey, or you will face judgment, and that that is it, it's very destructive. And there, so many people come out of those contexts have such a hard time understanding the the joy that can be found in living living out the law in light of the gospel and in light of salvation. Law becomes then a a weapon Mm -hmm. that is used against the believer because it's used wrongly. Whereas when we understand that the law functions as a guide, the law has no power in and of itself. It, It cannot give us the ability to obey. What the law was powerless to do, Paul will say in Romans 8, God did in sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh Mm -hmm. in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. And it can no longer condemn either. That's right. Because Paul begins Romans 8 by saying there's no condemnation. And so what happens then is the wrong use of the law brings a weight that is unbearable. But when the law rightly shows us this is how you should live as a believer, then the gospel comes along and it says, and now here is the power to obey. So there's a, a little poem. I don't know the origins of it, but it goes, run and run the law demands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. And so what the law was powerless to do, God did in sending his son. And the gospel then empowers us to obey. And so if we have anybody listening who, when, when you're in church, when you're hearing, hearing the Bible preached and you hear commandments and those commandments stir up in you anxiety, they stir up in you the sense of, am I doing good enough? Am I faithful enough? Am I obeying enough? And this having this constant lack of assurance that the Lord is pleased with you, that, that is not how... Christians are meant to approach the law. Instead, when we hear God's commands, when we see law in scripture, we can look at that from a place of safety and security, knowing that all has been accomplished in Christ, that the law has been fulfilled in Christ because he obeyed every part of it perfectly. We can then out of thankfulness, out of gratitude, we can joyfully obey those commands because we we want to. The you know the law summed up in love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. For those who have been saved by grace, we we hear that command and we say, of course, we would want to to do that. What else would we want to do with this amazing gift that we've been given? And so these then are, are the three uses of the law to restrain evil, to to be a mirror to sin, to to condemn. To, to show everybody their, their being under judgment and to point them to the Savior. And then also for those who have been saved, the law serves to, to lead and guide in no longer under condemnation, but from a place of, of safety and security. That's right. And so then as we wrap up here, Andrew, with our third episode, we've thought a lot about the law and the gospel and we, we wanted, wanted to end this series thinking uh, how do we practically apply these things to something that is relevant right now to us in our church. We're still, of course, going through our sermon series in Proverbs. And so we want to do a a bit of a case study, as it were. Let's look at the book of Proverbs and ask the question, how, where where do we see the law and gospel in the book of Proverbs? How, 
how do these things help us understand the book of Proverbs better? Most people don't see law and gospel in Proverbs. No. Um, and this is the problem. Mm-hmm. But when you rightly understand law and gospel, uh, you can actually come to the book of Proverbs and see Proverbs is full of law. Mm-hmm. It's also got gospel, but maybe not in the way that people expect. The law is pretty evident. It's it's the outworking of the commands. We hear uh, the fathers speak, uh, chapter seven, for example, to bind the bind the commands uh, to be internalized into the heart. So, so the law of God is clearly evident. But you could walk through Proverbs and you could take all of the Proverbs as merely law and they become a self-improvement project. Yeah. So you could open it up into the middle of the book and you could read, um, you could read uh, say, Proverbs 15, where it talks about, a harsh word stirs up anger, but a gentle answer uh, turns away wrath. And then you could see that, well, I could I could become a more a patient person. And that is just merely using law as a self-improvement project. Yeah. Proverbs is often used as a self-improvement project. Little tweets all throughout, random selected, open it up, put it to my life and apply it. And I can become a better person. Very much ties into the discussion of the theology of glory that That's we had right. last week. Yeah. However, there are two things that Proverbs does to root us in the gospel. The first is that throughout the book, uh, specifically in the introduction, in chapter one, verse seven, chapter nine, verse 10, and then at the end when it talks about uh, uh, the type of woman that is commended as a, a, an excellent wife, um, it speaks about the fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so it roots us in this reverence and awe of God. So we don't understand fear in terms of um, shaking in my boots, but we understand it as uh, a reverential awe or a respect that recognizes God in his glory and majesty. But it's also rooted in the idea that comes out of Deuteronomy that that the fear of the Lord is because you revere God because he's the God who rescued you from bondage and slavery. Mm-hmm. The second way that Proverbs then roots us in the gospel, it's not only in the God who has saved us and delivered us from slavery and bondage, but it's also in the call of the wise woman. The wise woman comes and she cries out. She's calling out in the streets. She's speaking out. And she appears at the beginning of the book in chapters one through nine, but then she is mysteriously absent in chapters 10 through 29. But then she reemerges again at the very end Mm -hmm. in chapters 30 and 31, especially in chapter 31. And the son is told in chapters one through nine to choose woman wisdom. And then by the end, he has shown, you need to marry her. She needs to be your wife. So Proverbs 31 isn't talking about, here's what the ideal woman looks like. It's talking about what marrying wisdom looks like. And then what happens is if you read that through the lens that the wisdom that we have, it uh, Proverbs 8, I just spoke about this a few weeks ago, Proverbs 8, the, the wisdom that is, is from heaven, it comes down, it existed before all time, it was there in creation, it was creating. Then you discover that what this wisdom actually is, 
is it is Jesus Christ himself, the wisdom of God. And Paul understands that what Proverbs is speaking about is that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And so then you marry yourself to the one who is the all wise one, that you are joined together in this union, which is why the picture of marriage is used throughout the book of Proverbs, that you're being united with wisdom itself, the wisdom of God that roots you in the fear of the Lord that delivered you from bondage and slavery. And suddenly then the commands are not mere commands that you can just randomly choose for personal self-improvement, but they are actually rooted in the one who came to deliver you and rescue you and who now empowers you because you are united with him in this path of wisdom. And that changes the book of Proverbs from being a a, a book of law to a book that is rooted in lots of gospel application for you and me so that we can change, we can grow, we can live because God comes to us in Jesus to take us and rescue us. It really does change everything. And so there you have it, listener, the the book of Proverbs has both law and a gospel. And it is important for all of us as we've contended throughout these last three episodes, it's important for us to distinguish between those two things and not, as you spoke earlier, fuse them together into one thing. And so as you read Proverbs, you can you can see those laws, but you you can relate to them in a different way. These, these laws are not something that you do to earn righteousness or to earn salvation. And not doing these laws as, as a believer are, it will not bring condemnation, but these, these are ways that when you understand the gospel, when you are united to Christ, when you are rooted in the grace of God given to you, then you can, you can joyfully see what God's good way is. Our, our entire series is, is about living the good life. And we, we can seek that joyfully rooted in the foundation of the gospel. This is not only true for the book of Proverbs, it is true for the entire Bible. And so listener, as you, as you hear the Bible preached, as you read it, I, we would both in, encourage that you have these thoughts in your mind. Where am I seeing law? Where am I seeing gospel? And understanding how those two things are different and how they relate and how they are to be used rightly. So we, we hope that these last three episodes have been insightful and informative for you. We pray that they would bring you to a, a deeper rest in the, in the truths of the gospel and what has been accomplished for you in Christ and maybe helps you relate to the the law in a in a new and more 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 joy filled rest filled way. So we look forward to seeing you all again next week for whatever the future has for us. We won't know quite yet what that is, but regardless of what that may be, we hope that you all tune in again next week. We'll look forward to seeing you then. 